kind of in this series I've been doing. It's an unintentional series, preaching from moments in the life of King David and in the life of Saul, uh, the king before him, the life of Samuel. And so my title today is Choosing a King. And uh, we will take what I have a, a lot of reading of scripture to do later. So let's just dive right into this and talk about some things uh, together. Uh, let me just, I'm just not quite ready yet. Lord, I pray that you administer to somebody's heart here today. Um, I don't have any control over this service, Lord. I can't make it good or bad. Uh, it's not in my hands. It's in your hands, Lord Jesus. So all I can do is practice surrender in this moment and give the whole thing to you. Uh, I'm going to do my best to try to uh, help to speak life. I hope people like me. I hope I do a good job. But Lord Jesus, I ask that you would do what none of us can do in this house here today. Let your Holy Spirit minister to us today. We commit it. We commit the house to you. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. One more time, put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Special thank you to my niece, uh, Scarlett uh, Elms Vanilla. Did I get that right? Okay. Uh, but, uh, she is uh, leading for us today. She's just crazy talented. And also, she's going to be preaching in, at the Concord campus at the 2 o'clock service. And she's an ordained minister and very anointed. I have heard her preach before. She is fantastic. And um, she does it in her own unique way. And so she's going to be preaching over there. Uh, some of you are thinking right now, well, why is she preaching over here? Um, well, the reason why is it's really hard to lead worship and then preach. Your voice is not designed to do that. Um, and so, uh, so it, it, if, if she did that, she wouldn't be able to lead worship or preach over there. And so that's how that works. Um, but we had, we needed a worship leader here today. We didn't need one over there. So I was like, <laughs> I think you're going to preach in Concord. So if you want to uh, be a part of that service, um, all the information is on the website. Uh, it is right off of uh, Reuben Linker, at the end of Reuben Linker Road, which is right off Weddington Road, which is right off Concord Mills. You can figure it out. I believe in you. All right, um, choosing a king and the lessons, the spiritual lessons that are shown to us in this moment where uh, David is anointed as a king, Saul has been uh, rejected, but I want to talk about Saul a little bit uh, today. Uh, I want us to understand the, the uniqueness of what is happening in this, this moment of spiritual transition. Uh, there is a, a fairly famous scholar, and in the manner of all biblical scholars, you know, it's not that we agree with everything they say, but we confess that uh, they have great uh, learning, and uh, there's not many people who can read the Bible in its original text. We all read it through translations, but we have scholars, so it is always in my heart to respect the uh, the scholarship of individuals. And one of the most famous scholars uh, today is uh, N.T. Wright. He wrote a book entitled How God Became King. And I have the book. I've read the book. I found it very, very uh, interesting. And if you enjoy that kind of a thing, it's very much worth reading. But he, he basically argues that so many times we miss the real message of the Gospels because we neglect the theme that Christ has become king and inaugurated God's kingdom here on earth. We, as modern Christians, think in terms of saved or lost. That's not how uh, Jews 
in uh, the early early years of the church. That's not how they thought. Uh, what do you mean saved or lost? I either am a child of Abraham or I, I'm not a child of Abraham. Uh, they don't have this concept of if I don't offer sacrifice, then I'm lost. That's, that's not how they think. They might be a son or a daughter uh, not living up to their fulfillment, their possibility, but they don't think in terms of saved and and lost. And I think there's a lot of lessons, a lot of reading of scriptural texts that we, we somewhat miss some of the, the richness of the text because we're trapped in this idea of I'm either good enough to go to heaven, which is a fallacy, nobody's good enough to go to heaven, or I am bad enough to go to hell. Well, we all deserve judgment in our lives. The gospel comes along and says to us, Christ has won. Christ is your covering. He lived the perfect life you could not live. And here's the good news. He's going to give you his report card. He's going to take your report card. Oh, this is the gospel. It's so hard for people to wrap their head. It's much easier for us to be religious and superstitious than it is to live in the celebration of the gospel. Where... We are complete in him. Christ has won. And he is going to give us his credit card. And all you have to do is receive it according to his promise, which enables you to quit living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, who's good enough or bad enough, and start living as a worshiper. Uh, we oftentimes miss some of the richness of the New Testament text because we miss the theme of Christ coming as king and inaugurating God's kingdom here on earth. This is a quote from the scholar. The point of the Gospels is not whether Jesus is God, but what God is doing in and through Jesus. What this embodied, somebody say embodied, this embodied God is up to God manifest in the flesh. What is this embodied God up to? Uh, and this scholar, he takes us back through the story of the house of Israel in a way that I, I, had never, I had never seen or appreciated before. He takes us back to the moment where the people of God reject, they reject the theocracy of the order God has established through the role of the priesthood and the prophets. Well, let me say that differently because it's a little bit misleading to say it that way. They reject the role of the prophet judge, the prophet judge, and they cry out and say, give us a king so that we might be like other nations. The scholar takes us back uh, to this moment where the people, uh, they reject the uniqueness of a divine order of being, an order of living, uh, a way of walking in, in this world. And what he says is in the same manner that the people come, and we'll read the text in just a moment, to Samuel and say, look, uh, your sons aren't like you. We, we, we don't want you to lead us. Uh, would you give us a king? In the same moment 
in the same manner, in the same uh, narrative of uh, scriptural understanding and insight into the nature of God and the nature of the human heart, just as they reject divine order for their lives and say, let us do it like the rest of the world does it. Give us a king in the same manner. Yahweh fulfills prophecy through Jesus Christ by being crowned the king that the people said they want. Now, you've probably not heard this before. (laughs) I know that I had not taken myself through these scriptures in this particular thing. The Old Testament presents Yahweh as the true king of Israel, but the people reject him and they want an earthly king. Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the earthly kingship that Israel wants, and the Gospels repeatedly announce Jesus as the long-awaited royal Messiah who has come to establish God's reign on earth. And this is why, more often than any other phrasing, you will hear Jesus refer to the fulfillment of a kingship here on earth, the kingdom of heaven fulfilled here on earth, the kingdom of heaven fulfilled first through me, through Jesus, and then through divine empowerment, the kingdom of heaven fulfilled through the Jesus in you. So Jesus takes Israel's destiny upon himself and he reconstitutes the brokenness of their hopes and dreams around himself and he becomes the embodiment of the king. But as a king, he saves his people. Uh, The children of Israel are being oppressed by the nations around them. Uh, They want a king that they might organize themselves and fight back. They want to do it like the nations of the the world do it. Uh, Christ comes and he shows them that you can win differently. You can have victory differently. This is why the themes of Jesus' teaching are so shocking. If they smite you in the face, turn the other cheek. It's the opposite of what you would expect. It's an upside-down kingdom. And even if you're religious, like all of us here, even if you're so holy that when you walk, your feet does not touch the ground, like most of us here, maybe not you, but, but definitely me. <laughs> even if you've been religious your whole life, when I start speaking this philosophy, if you'll allow me to use that word, of Jesus Christ, you sit there and you think to yourself, oh my word, is that possible? An upside down kingdom. All right, now I'm going to read some scripture. First Samuel chapter number eight, and we're going to read. Uh, I'll tell you the story, but I'm starting at verse number one. Um, the children of Israel are disappointed in Samuel's sons because they are corrupt, and they know that Samuel had not been corrupt, and they know that Samuel had not per- perverted justice, and all the elders of Israel, verse 4, they come and they, they say, look, you're getting old. Um, your sons are not following in your ways. Make us a king. And here's the key word. 
to judge us like all the nations, like all the nations. Who are they comparing themselves to? The other nations. Hear me, I don't have time to preach this, but I desperately, deeply, profoundly believe this. The surest way to confuse your spiritual destiny is get in the habit of comparing yourself with people who do not share your spiritual destiny. This breaks Samuel's heart, verse number six. The the Bible says displeased him, but in the Hebrew, that's a stronger word. Um, When they ask for a king and he prays to the Lord, he he takes his brokenness to the Lord. That's what all of us have to do, yes? He takes his disappointment to the Lord. He he takes this rejection. He spent his life trying to help people, and they say, no, we don't want what you represent. He spent his life trying to carry them through suffering and sorrow, and they, they, they reject him. It's broken his heart. What does he do? He goes and tells the Lord. He says, all right. The Lord says to Samuel, all right, give them what they want. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. This is underemphasized, but this is the first great rejection of God's people against him as leader, against him as the way, the truth, and the life. We want to do it like the nations of the world. When we think of Scripture, Scriptures like he came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We think of scriptures like that as primarily a New Testament uh, moment, a New Testament uh, image. And you would not be wrong because it is very much a New Testament image, but it didn't start in the New Testament. It started all the way back when the people of God surveyed the man of God and found the man of God wanting and said, let us have somebody who will organize us in the manner of the nations around them. And the Lord says, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. I can't be good enough for them. No matter where I bring them from, no matter what I do, they cannot stop living in this trap of comparing themselves to people who do not share their spiritual destiny. All right, Mr. Prophet. All right, Brother Samuel. Give them what they want. But you should warn them that the behavior of this king is going to be somewhat uh, less than they might expect. And here's the problem uh, with human leadership. It's not just the preacher who's going to disappoint you. It's your employer who's going to disappoint you too. And it's not just uh, the prophet who's going to disappoint you. The policeman is going to disappoint you too. The fundamental error is an inability for you to see the hand of God working in your midst. Even when I'm good to you, you don't comprehend it. Even when I bless you, you cannot value it. Even when I raise up a hedge between you and your enemies, you're blind to it. You think in terms of fortune, luck, and uh, the things of this world, the traps, the venal traps of this world. That's what you think of everything I've done for you. You're still judging my works according to the flawed character of the sons of the prophet. And so uh, the people 
receive this warning. Uh, the king, he is going to take your sons. He's going to use them for his own army. He's going to tax you for his chariots and his horses. He's going to take your food. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take the best of your fields. He'll take all your, gr- your grain, your vintage. Uh, he will take your possessions and use them for his purposes. Uh, you will be his servants and uh, you will cry out in that day, verse 18, because your king whom you chosen for yourself... You are making this bed, and baby, you are going to lie in it, and I am not going to hear you in that day because you have claimed a destiny that was not my intention for you to claim. Verse 19, the people refused to uh, obey the voice of Samuel. Uh, That was no big deal. They hadn't been obeying obeying his voice for some time. Um, And uh, they said, no, 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 no. We know better than you. All the folly of everyone who's ever debated with God. We know better than you, uh, Mr. Prophet. Give us a king. Give us a king. How must this have felt to Samuel, who has given his whole life? He's given his whole life from a little boy when his mother took him and gave him to Eli the priest and said, uh, I made a covenant unto the Lord that if you would grant me a son, I would, as soon as he was able, I would bring him to serve you. And the first example uh, that Samuel sees of the house of God is him uh, in the arms of a strange man and his mother saying, I've got to leave you here. I promise the Lord. But mama, I don't know this Lord you're talking about. I'm just a little boy. I'm just just a baby. (laughs) I'm just a little boy. I I, want to play. Don't leave me here. His first introduction to the house of the Lord is the pain of his mother's sacrifice and his own broken heart. If you want to find a reason to be mad at God, I promise you there will be 17 for your consideration. His first introduction into this way of divine ordination and purpose is watching his mother walk away trying to hide her tears and he looks around what do I do now my life was good it was going well I want cookies I call mama I need reassurance I call mama some of y'all suckers are still calling mama you know who you are And from that moment, he lives a life of sacrifice. He doesn't come pretentiously to his place. He lives as a servant, not a son. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I just said. He doesn't come pretentiously to his place. He lives as a servant, not a son. He's the one you call in the middle of the night. If someone needs to be troubled, let's trouble Samuel. Maybe if you had forced the sons of Samuel to work like Samuel, they would have turned out differently. But no one prospers from the easy way. Don't begrudge the difficulty in your life. It might be that God has given you something to push off of. Eli, the Lord called me. Did you call me? And Eli says, no, I didn't. Again, Eli, did you call me? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't call you. The next time you hear that voice say, Lord, I am here. 
Samuel grows up and now having given everything to the kingdom of God, having gone, having risked, having sacrificed, the people sum up his ministry by saying, we do not want what you represent referring to the future of our nation and the manner of our being. We want to be like the Amalekites. We want to be like the Philistines. We want to be like the Moabites. We want to be like the Egyptians. We know best. And Sam, and there's no way for Samuel not to ask himself what he's done wrong. One of the things about Christian leadership at any level is whenever someone rejects what you're trying to do for the kingdom, there's always the temptation to feel it as a personal rejection. And it's really not a personal rejection. It just feels that way. Samuel, Samuel, they want something that you cannot give them. So here's the lessons uh, of Israel demanding a king. What was intended when God gave them the prophet? Well, it was intended that they would live differently and the prophet would direct their attention uh, to Yahweh, not the kingdom. That was the intention, uh, except they reject God's leadership. They reject the one who will always turn their, their, their focus back to God. And instead, by insisting on a king, they reject God as their ruler and leader. It was in, excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. It was intended from the beginning that God's people would demonstrate trust in God. But no, uh, let us trust in a king. And so God says, okay. It was intended that God's people would not live like the nations of the world around them. Uh, but no, they wanted to be like the nations of the world around them. They reveal a lust for the worldly way of being. God's people would not need a king. Why? They would remember all that God had miraculously done from them and they would live as worshipers, not subjects. It's a whole Bible study right there. Except they don't remember. And when you don't remember and you cannot worship, then you live as a subject and not as a worshiper. God's people were never intended to need a king because God would be their king. Israel would be focused upon God's purposes not here on earth, not their purposes here on earth. And this is why, and this is why, and I'm I, I just going to touch this because it's, it's a little bit more going on here than I have time for today. But this is why when Jesus stands in the court of the Gentiles and he rebukes the court of the Gentiles, he overturns the money changers, he is rebuking what they have made of their God-given purpose. That is what he is rebuking. He curses the temple as they implement it. And it goes like this. In the court of the Gentiles, the largest court in uh, the house of God, that place where everyone was supposed to be welcome, they had recreated a culture where anyone who wasn't a Jew was alien and not welcome. And they never had any Gentiles coming there to pray because their heart was closed to Gentiles. And even God had made the biggest part of his house for people who were outsiders. The biggest part of his house was for outsiders. But when you have a heart like these people, there's no outsiders who want to be a part of it. And because they have this huge space that's empty and they don't have anybody there using it, they said, I know what, we'll turn what God intended as an open house for outsiders. We'll turn that into a place of convenience for us. 
We won't have to travel with lambs and sheep and goats. We'll just buy one when we get there. We can use the, na- the money of the nation we live in, and when we make pilgrimage, we'll just change our money there. They turned a house of prayer into a convenience market for insiders. And what does Jesus say to them? He turns over, he drives a lot. He says, this place was meant to be, what does he say? A house of prayer for who? For all people, not just Pharisees, not just the Sadducees, not just the insider, not just the child of Abraham, not just the sons of Benjamin, but everybody. God, help us to have a house that has an active, vibrant court of the Gentiles that does not need to be cursed because we've taken your gift and made it only for ourselves. This place was supposed to be a house of prayer for our people. You made it a den of thieves. They forgot their purpose on earth, and then they live out the result of forgetting God's purpose, which is this. God, I don't really want to serve you. I want you to serve me. Now give me, give me, give me. Here's my grown-up Christmas list. And so uh, that's how we get to the story of Saul. God gives them a king and splits the office of king uh, and priest. This is the splitting, uh, the spiritual side and the civil side. Uh, and Saul, he, he is elevated, but Saul um, is a very, very flawed man, and he cannot overcome the vanity that is within him that is destructive. Uh, vanity is always the most dangerous enemy in the uh, uh, good person's heart. The, most, the, the biggest enemy we have in our heart is our own capacity for vanity. And uh, so uh, this splitting of the offices, you have Saul and you have Samuel, and how different they are. And I, I think the scripture that highlights this more than anything else is uh, 1 Samuel um, 19, where the people, they recognize they've done the wrong thing by asking for a king, and they uh, ask Samuel to pray for them. Would you pray for us? Uh, this is verse 19, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And what does the Samuel say? Uh, the temptation here is to say, I told you so, I told you so. I tried to tell you, but no, no, talk to the hand, talk to the hand. I tried to tell you. There is something so satisfying about having that moment. <laughs> It's like being a pastor, you know, the couple comes in the office, we can't live without each other, we can't live without each other, we can't live without each other, I can't be happy without this man, and the pastor's like, just just slow down, just walk together a little while, you know, just slow this thing down. Well, three months later, they come in, they're married, and they say, uh, I can't live with this man, I can't be happy with this man, this is the worst, and I want to be honest with you, there's not a preacher in the world who does not want to say What does Samuel say? Samuel shows his heart in verse number 23. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But, and I love this, as long as I have breath, 
as long as I can speak to frame the word, to pronounce it, I will teach you the good and the right way. I know you messed up. I know you dropped the ball. I know you made seven messes to clean up on one Sunday, but I'm here to tell you, as long as I have energy in this body, I'm going to tell you the way to make things right. As long as there is mercy to preach about and hope to sing about, I will tell you the way of God. But Saul, uh, and I'm almost, I need, to, I need to think about ending, but I think you're out of luck today. I think I'm feeling long-winded today. Um, Saul, Saul, he, he, he should have been a representative of the person who can offer the best of this, 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 this how shall we say, civil organization, this kingship role. The, the most important work of the king is to uh, see his people flourish. It's more important than warfare. It's more important than defense. It's more important than... Uh, uh, the monopoly of violence. It's, it's the single most important thing of an effective king is the flourishing of his, of his people. Um, but Saul, uh, he, he cannot see beyond his own insecurities. And so um, he transgresses the order God has established. How does he do it? Um, they're waiting on the prophet. Remember, there's been a dividing of these roles. There is a priesthood represented, or men of faith represented through Samuel, um, prophetic judges, so to speak. And then there is the civil king, um, and he is impatient. He cannot wait on the Lord, and uh, their people are afraid. They're getting ready to go into battle, and, and uh, Saul, he, he thinks, you know, I'll just be all things to all people, and he steps out of his role, and he offers sacrifice as though he is not just a king, but he is a king and a priest, and this was not uh, an invitation uh, to him by God. Uh, this was a, a rebellion in his heart against God and uh, Samuel comes and Samuel's like, no, 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 no. You can't do it this way. You cannot pretend that you have all the gifts of the Spirit and everybody should do what you say. You have to work with the body of Christ. It's not your body. <laughs> you got to work with the crazy people too. Yeah. <laughs> you have to put up with the irritating people too. And I know Pastor Nate's one of them, but that's where I put you, bless God. So suffer in Jesus' name. <laughs> And so um, Saul, Saul, this is a, a strike against him. And it, it will go on when he, he, he tries to keep that which was to be offered unto the Lord after a battle. And again, uh, this is a slap in the face, not just of God, but of spiritual order. When a king cannot understand spiritual order, he disqualifies himself from the spiritual order he is reigning in. That's why leaders of any type, when they reject any type of covering in their life and refuse, I don't have time to preach this. Anyway, he is uh, set uh, against the very order that has raised him up. And this causes problems. And so the Lord says, all right, we're going to find somebody else. And this is how young David, tending the sheep, this is how he gets anointed with oil before his brother. And last Sunday, I, uh, in the 11 o'clock service, I talked about the three anointings of David. Um, and uh, so you have some background on the uniqueness of his, his anointing. And so begins the awkwardness of the life of David. There is an anointing upon him, and there is another king still on the throne. The anointing on him causes him to be bold in the face of danger. He slays Goliath, and this raises his, him to elevation. But Saul, the king on the throne, is intimidated by the anointing on David. And so he begins to seek 
to find a way to kill David. Uh, he wants to reject. He's not interested in God's plan. He's interested not in serving God. He has already shifted gears. He's gone, so to speak, to the dark side. He has flipped to, I don't serve you, you serve me. And here's what's astonishing about Saul is he has a sensitivity to the realm of the spirit. There's places where he speaks at the, as, with the other prophets and he prophesies. There's places where the spirit of the Lord comes upon him as it were. And yet he cannot live in order. Thus, he becomes that most dangerous leader. Gifted. Anointed. Rebellious. And uh, David lives this awkward moment. Um, the people received their king. God had sent Samuel to find the best that he could of a generation, and that was Saul. But Saul falls fast, far, and hard, and God says, I'm going to raise up another. This anointing is going to David and his, his house. Let me repeat myself. This puts David in a very, very awkward situation. The first anointing was in front of his brother, and remember that? It was his family. And what do they do after the anointing? They send him back to take care of the sheep. It's tough for the peer group you are in to let you rise to the next level of your spiritual destiny. They will find a way to pull you back down into their crab bucket because the only thing worse than them being stuck where they are is them having to look at your backside. Did that, that may have come out wrong. Um, you understand what I'm saying? David, can you stand in your divine identity when your brethren mock you? Can you stand in your divine calling? Can you believe that God wasn't playing when he sent the prophet to you? Can you do it? This is what David is living out. So he goes, having been given status in the kingdom, and I'm almost done, believe it or not. It doesn't feel like it, but trust me, I'm closer than when I began, okay? And so he goes to the king's house. He's elevated. He's, he's exalted. He, is, he becomes the king's son-in-law. He is in the family. Uh, but isn't it interesting how um, sometimes you're, the family can, can, can and hate you too. It's not just uh, outside the family where the human nature Nature breaks the bonds of affection. And uh, here his father-in-law is now trying to uh, kill him. And let me tell you an interesting, interesting story that is in this, uh, this, this moment. Um, the one who should receive, and I'm musicians, you can come. The one who should receive uh, the next crown is the son of the king, and his name is Jonathan. And Jonathan becomes dear friends with David. And somehow, I don't know how, and I don't know when, but there was probably a very awkward conversation. How many of you have ever had an awkward conversation? Am I the only one? Surely not. I've had some really awkward conversations. At some point in this friendship, there comes this really, really awkward conversation. And some version of this, Jonathan says, I heard, I heard a story that you were anointed before your brethren by Samuel himself, the prophet. I heard a rumor that you were anointed by Samuel and the horn of oil was poured over you. And uh, 
you were supposed to be the next king of Israel. Awkward. I heard a rumor that I was going to take over the job of playing the keys. I heard that you didn't doing it right and they had asked me if I could not just do what I'm doing but to do this too. Don't have a good spirit. Feel all these people out up here. <laughs> Awkward. Jonathan is supposed to be the next king. Yes. What, 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 where did his father go wrong? I don't care what your plan is. I don't care who you anoint. I choose me. I elevate me. I choose me. I got an amen here on the front row. That little sucker's so cute, I'm going to take him home. <laughs> I choose me. I choose me. I don't care who you anointed. I choose me. I don't care what your purpose was. I choose me. Here's his son, Jonathan. Um, I heard a rumor that you were anointed to be the next king of Israel. And David's like, you know, he don't know where to put his hands. And <laughs> Yeah. Don't worry, I just ignored that. I just, that, that's, that's, that's a God thing. Let's, let's, let's not worry about that. No, 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 no. I, I heard that you, I'm talking about choosing a king, church. And I want to show you something, the difference in the spirit of Saul and the spirit of Jonathan. Everything is in Jonathan's interest to say, I too reject this so-called rumor of anointing. And I'm going to hate you just like my father hates you. And I would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. And I reject your anointing. I don't care what prophet said it. Everything in his life is inclining him to say, I reject this so-called anointing. I am going to be the next king. But the Bible gives us the most beautiful example of this, this, this moment of the scripture. Uh, and we're in 1 Samuel, uh, verse number 18. Uh, chapter number 18, verse number 1. Now, after he had finished speaking to Saul, um, excuse me, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. His father's trying to talk him into hating him. His soul was knit to David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took him that day and would not let him go home to his... Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him. How is the status of a prince shown to the household of the king? What he wears. He takes off his robes of divine, uh, how shall we say, royal appointment, and he gives them to David. He takes off his armor. Who has the best armor in the kingdom? The king, yes? Who has the second best armor in the kingdom? The prince. In fact, depending on the king's age, 
The prince may have the best armor in the kingdom and the king have the second best armor in the kingdom. Jonathan took off his armor. He took his sword, his bow, his belt. What's the best sword in the kingdom? It probably his or his father's. He takes everything that signifies who he is and he gives it to David. He chooses a king. He chooses a king. He says, if God chooses you, I choose you. This kingdom is not about me and mine. I did not come to church so I could be blessed. I came to be a blessing. I did not show up where I could ask God to serve me. I showed up to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting and glorify God in heaven. I am here to choose a king. I'm not here to promote. Oh, come on. I wish there were some apostolics in this house. I did not come here to promote me. I did not come here to celebrate me. I did not come here to give my list of needs to God and say, chop chop on high. Give me what I want. Give me what I need. I showed up to be a worshiper. I showed up to choose a king. And that king is not me. I stand with every man and woman of faith in the scripture. I lift my eyes heavenward and I choose a king. And I say, I choose Stand with me across the house. All right, I'm going to say some things. I'd like you to follow along in your version of them, okay? I don't have much of a crown, Lord. I'm not anybody very important. I'm not particularly talented. There's a few things I can do, but just good enough to be mostly ignorable. I don't have much of a crown. I don't have a lot of particularly notable talents. Or, but whatever I have, I take it off and I give it to you. My crown's not impressive, God, but I lay it at your feet and I surrender. Thank you for including me in your kingdom. Thank you for including me in your kingdom, oh God. Thank you for using my loaves and fishes. I choose you. I don't always understand. I choose you. I I can't explain some of the ignorance that I... I do dumb things, God. But I choose you. This isn't my kingdom. I crown you king. You have become my king. You have become my priest. You have become my word of life. You have become my lamb for sinners slain. You've become the perfect tabernacle, the perfect temple. You've become my perfect altar. So I crown you king. In Jesus' name.
if you're here today and you'll you'll stand in this same commitment to God, I'd like you to lift your hands right now and in your own way. So, Lord, I commit myself to you. I dedicate myself to you. I want to open this front up here today if you need healing. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.